Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors, just like you, about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. It's Laura Gregg, and I'm here with my fabulous co-host, David Partain. Hello, David. Fabulous co-host. Well, fabulous. thank you, Laura. I appreciate Phenomenal. that. Phenomenal. Doing well. It's 72 here in Chicago, so I'll take it in August. (laughs) You know, David, we have focused a lot of these podcast episodes on creating an exceptional client experience, which I know is a hot button for both you and me, Mm -hmm. Um, and our behavioral research on how to grow wallet share with existing clients goes deeply into the importance of the client's experience and also understanding their persona so that an advisor can gauge with their clients in a way that aligns more closely to their emotional profile. So uh, if you'll allow me, I want to start today's conversation with a little quiz for you. Let's see how you can do. Well, that that depends, though. My wife may have some say about my emotional profile, but go ahead. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) All right, David, can you name the percentage of clients who said the most important quality in choosing an advisor is an advisor's interpersonal skills? Well, since I grew up in the age of Michael Douglas and Wall Street and where performance was king, I would say that it's it would it would have been quite low back uh, when I started. So I'm going to say, what, 30, 40 percent, 82 percent. Get out of here. All right. You got a chance to redeem yourself. Uh, we know that investors who work with an advisor tend to realize a benefit in performance. The alpha of working with an advisor has uh, in the industry been estimated to be somewhere around 3%. How much of that 3% do you think is derived from an advisor's behavioral coaching of their clients? You know, can I phone a friend? Somebody, I don't know, like well, we ha- we have somebody, somebody like Brendan Fraser, maybe? <laughs> yes, let's do this. Brendan, can you give us that stat? I'd be in big trouble if I could. I'd, that'd, be, that'd be bad news. Yeah, uh, surprisingly, shockingly, it's one and a half percent. And the thing that I think is fascinating about this is the study is done by Vanguard, who you know, notoriously is usually a direct, direct-to-consumer firm or direct-to-consumer company. And they're out there promoting and touting the value of advice and working with an advisor. But yeah, over uh, the number one contributor to the alpha from an advisor, fit, uh, half of it at that is uh, the ability to manage their behavior, behavioral management. So uh, as Brendan knows, I went out to his website and I found these stats and uh, pulled them. So thank you very much. And and Brendan Frazier uh, is the founder of Wired Planning. He is also the host of the Human Side of Money podcast. And Brendan was recently named one of Investopedia's top 100 financial advisors, And in addition to being a financial advisor, he is building a community of advisors that are mastering the human side of advice to enhance client outcomes and to forever change the trajectory of their businesses. I am so thrilled that you are here with us today, Brendan, and that we get to talk behavioral finance. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm I'm honored to be on here uh, from the first conversation that we had, Laura. I've been looking forward to it, and I just really uh, appreciate the work that you guys do. Think you do great work. The Wallet Share study that was put out recently, as soon as I saw it, I uh, got a Google alert about it and emailed you right away. And just I think that's fantastic work that you're doing the hard work to, to find the answers that advisors want to know. And you're pretty much saying, hey, here it is. Here are the answers. Here are the insights. So I just think that's a it's a fascinating study and one that's probably long overdue and thought you thought you guys did a uh, fantastic job with it. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Brendan. I echo Laura's excitement. However, I have to tell you, based on all you have going on, we know you don't like to speak, uh, to sleep. So um, I will kick off this podcast with asking a little bit about your background, how you got to be an advisor, and then tell us a little bit about wired planning, what it is and how our advisors using utilizing it. Yeah, that, I appreciate you asking that. So I, I will throw this in there real quick, because you mentioned that point about sleep. And I used to kind of, I used to be a believer in the whole, like I'll sleep when I die mentality. Then <laughs> I started doing some, I started looking into uh, sleep a little bit more. And you realize that if you like, when you really look into it, sleep is a superpower. So I've now shifted my way of thinking. And if I'm not getting seven, eight hours of sleep a night, I don't feel like I'm doing well. I don't do it every night where we've got two little ones at home. So it's not always yeah. possible, but I'm in the camp of sleep being a superpower. So quick side note there, but yeah, so I, I've, I started my career in financial services as a consultant to financial advisors, got to talk to advisors around the country, over, th you know, over a thousand advisors. The cool part is you get to learn how they work, see how they run their businesses, see the best of the best, see the worst of the worst. Yes, the worst of the worst, and unfortunately does exist, it is out there, but you get to see it all. And so that was a, a good, I think, foray for me to get into the industry. But I was traveling a lot, ultimately decided I was sitting in my hotel room in Kentucky one night and thought, you know what? When my son is six years old, I don't want to be sitting in a hotel room when he calls me and says, hey, dad, guess what happened to my baseball game tonight? And I'm having to hear it all through him. I was tired of, mm -hmm. of traveling a lot, decided that I wanted to make a shift and, and get into the advisor side of the business. And so that happened in 2018. Uh, so it's been about four years now of getting to be like in, in the business, working with clients, doing planning um, and, and all that, all that great stuff that everybody knows about. Now, what was interesting was what happened in that time that I spent, or this is interesting to me anyways, but what happened <laughs> in the time that I spent with advisors was that I kept hearing this theme over and over again. And it was always one of two things. It was either you know, Brendan, sometimes I feel like more of a therapist than a financial advisor. Or, you know, Brendan, sometimes I feel like I'd be better off if I had a degree in psychology than a degree in, in finance or economics or if I had taken the CFP. It just feels like the majority of the time, I'm, that's my, my role isn't numbers-based. It's more dealing with the people side of things. And so yeah. everybody that's in this business, or if you've been in this business for 40 days or 40 years, you work with people and your money, you realize you felt that dynamic, you know that dynamic. And so I would just ask the next natural question after that and, and want to know, okay, I hear you. I hear a lot of people say that. So I'm just kind of curious if that's a, such a big portion or piece of what you do, what, what do you do about it? Right. So like, what is it that you're yeah. doing to enhance that skill set to get better at that? Right. Just like you're doing, you're going to conferences to learn about the technical knowledge. How are you getting better at dealing with people? And then it would always be this blank stare or the, uh, um, I read a book, the kind of answer, <laughs> right. I listened to a podcast maybe. And, and so, but it was more so this, like, I didn't really, it was the answer is basically, I didn't really know 
what to do. And then I remember, I'm going to give the short version of this. I remember being in a meeting with an advisor where he, the client was going to retire. The advisor laid the plan out perfectly of, hey, if you do these things, you will be able to finally retire and your wife can stop working. You guys can sail off into the sunset, that whole story. It was tailor-made for success. And the guy walked out of the office that day and he didn't pull, he didn't do the thing he was supposed to do. He didn't pull the trigger and invest the money he was the way he was supposed to invest because he was so fearful of how the, of the market crashing and taking away his ability or his wife's ability to retire. He didn't want to live off his savings. And I had this moment where it was like, hang on, hang on. There's no designation training or certification. There's nothing in the CFP that, that equips you to deal with somebody that's completely gripped with fear when you're laying out logically all the things that they should do to accomplish what they want to accomplish and they can't do it. That's not a, a, that's not a knowledge problem. That's not a technical issue. That's a people issue. And, I, and then I, I remember walking out of there that day going, this is happening in uh, thousands of offices with thousands of people across the yeah. world every single right. day and nobody knows what to do about it. So... That at, at the same time, I, I kind of realized at that point, like, I, I don't think I'm the only one that is interested in this, what I call the human side, right? But it, but it feels like what we need is a, to bridge the gap between the information that's out there and then how to apply it to our practices, our processes, and our conversations day in and day out. So that's what that's when I founded Wire Planning. That was the mission when I set out was to say, all right, I don't think I'm the only one, but let's try to accelerate this the path for advisors to understand the human aspect and the human dynamic of working with people and their money. And that's how Wired Planning was born. That's how the podcast was born, was this mission to help advisors do that. Wow. Very cool. I know Laura has heard me use this analogy, but a lot of advisors were basically math teachers who had to become art teachers. And just <laughs> just the different the difference, and that's a huge change for them. So we like to tie our guests, and I, I know Laura is great at getting guests that can tie them and their opinions and what they're what they're working on to our own research work that we're doing here at FlexShares. And it would seem you're doing something similar. Tell us about the human side of money, the topics you cover, which uh, during the podcast, and about some of the guests you've had on your show. Yeah, this has been by far and away the most fun part of all this. I, I say it all the time, but podcasting has been a, a complete game changer for me because if nothing else, I get to talk to and learn from some really, really awesome, cool, smart, bright people doing some of the best work in the industry. So it's, it's kind of crazy how it works, but all you have to do is say, hey, I have a podcast. You want to you want to come on the show? And, the, and then you get these people that you you know you think you never get to talk to and they're like yeah sure whereas if i had said hey do you want to come have an hour and a half conversation on zoom or go to lunch and talk for an hour and a half they'd be like yeah you know brennan i'm sure you're probably a decent guy but yeah i can't i, I can't afford to carve that out so if nothing else it's been awesome in in in, in that sense but it's also been extremely eye opening and enlightening so we talk about pretty much anything and everything you can think of or you've experienced with a client when it comes to the non-numbers, the non-technical mm. side. So for wow. example, we've had Daniel Crosby on who talks about what goes on in your brain when it, when the market's crashing. He, he talks about all things are, like, around the brain. He wrote a book called The Behavioral Investor. So it's all around how you behave yep. in certain market conditions, right? So, and I'm not doing him justice by describing it that way, but <laughs> he's a phenomenal thought leader, right? It's Megan Lertz who work, writes for kitsis.com and nerd's eye view on all things on the human side, like how to actually ask questions and ask them effectively, how to go walk somebody, somebody through the different stages of change. So they'll follow your advice. George Kinder, the father of life planning, right? He's been on there. Carl Richards came on to talk about how to instill a sense of purpose into 
the financial plan, um, Bill Backrack and his values based yep. process, financial planning process. I mean, I, I feel bad because I could go. What's re- what it's been is honestly, as I take a step back sometimes and I look at the guests that have come on at this point. And if you had told me two years ago when this whole thing started that this would be the lineup that I've had, I would have. I mean, I, quite frankly, I would have never believed it. Uh, uh, so cool. it's cool to see such synergy and collaboration from around the industry. The one thing that I know that that's been really cool and really eye opening is everybody has this agreement of like we want to work together because this is an important message that needs to be spread. These are important things that need to be learned in the advisor community. Yeah. Well, anytime you're dealing with money, it is important. And uh, yeah. wherever you wherever you fall on the money uh, spectrum and in investing, it's it's really important. You know what we found over the years, though. I, I've been in the business long enough to know it's kind of like when I was at camp as a kid. You'd come home, you'd be the best kid that you could be, and that's how behavioral finance is. Sometimes, as a term, it typically catches the attention of the audience, especially advisors, and it's a topic that you know is question from the client firms that we serve. and But typically, the behavioral sessions at conferences are well attended. But what we find is, as we work with the advisors, is that they quickly revert back to the traditional way, I've, I'm not going to say it, spreadsheet of interacting with clients when they return to their offices. So focusing more on the day-to-day business of managing money and more traditional customer service model is what they fall back on. And in one of your recent podcasts, you talk about the moment. And the moment is when an advisor truly realizes the importance that psychology has in their business and their success. So tell us about the moment and how advisors can use it to change the trajectory of the path they are on. Yeah. So the moment is when you sit there and you realize that this work, the job you're doing, the work that you're doing is a lot more about the treating the person than the plan. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more about their brain than it is about, it's a lot more about the brain than budgets, a lot more about behavior than balance sheets. It's a lot more about values than volatility. And so the moment itself is when you, what I mentioned earlier, when you have the realization where you say, wait a minute, I, I feel like I'm a little bit more of a therapist than a financial advisor. Not, not that you are, right? But I right. feel like I would be well suited to have a skill set like a therapist rather than an advisor. Or I feel like I'd be better off if I knew some of these psychological principles than if I knew how to talk through a market commentary or explain the effects of inflation when inflation rears its head, right? And so that's the moment when you realize, wait a minute, there's more to this than I learned in these trainings, designations, and certifications that I would just truly wasn't equipped for right it, it, nobody i can i can calculate a roth contribution or a roth conversion analysis with the best of them but how do i actually get somebody in the midst of a plummeting market to think clearly to not think emotionally to actually stay invested in the plan so it doesn't derail their future without just simply telling them hey that you need to stay invested this happens this has happened before we'll come out of this instead of just peppering somebody with facts what are the more effective ways to actually get them to change their behavior or what they want to do and stay invested because you know that's best for their long-term future nobody really maps that out very well or you know that it's important to build trust and connection and rapport with a client everybody tells you that every year no matter what stage you're at you know the importance of that but does anybody ever break down like the components of how to actually create trust and deliver and, and, and build connection and rapport quickly and instantly with somebody that's basically a stranger 
before they walk in the door. So like what I always like to say is it's, it's the moment when you realize that this job's not a, just about constructing plans and portfolios. It's about deconstructing thoughts, the feelings, values, and emotions around money. It's the moment when you realize that your, your client's financial success has more to do with what goes on in their mind than any amount of knowledge you can possibly store up in yours. Or it's the moment when you realize that, hang on, all this, all the work that I'm doing to help somebody accumulate more money, it's not just about accumulating wealth. It's about how do I align my wealth with, with what's truly most important in my life? Or how do I help a client do that? And so it's this moment of, I, this is different than I expected and I'm not fully, in a, I'm not adequately equipped and trained to do what I now realize is a pretty important function of doing this job at the highest level. So, you know, Brendan, that all really resonates with me. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about a client experience. And one of my hot buttons is hearing an advisor say that one of the benefits that they offer clients or potential clients is great customer service. I mean, to me, customer service is just table stakes. If you're not providing good or great customer service, you probably shouldn't be in this industry. It's kind of similar to saying we have many satisfied clients. Well, I certainly hope that you do have (laughs) satisfied clients or, you know, how would you keep your business alive? So instead of thinking of customer service and satisfied clients, what is it that uh, advisors should aspire to build with their clients? Yeah. So I'm gonna, there's a couple other phrases or terms that are very familiar to the advisor community that I think fall under the same camp. I was just going to mention real quick because they're the other ones that get under my skin, the ones that are similar to like great customer service. And you also hear like, oh, we deliver white glove service, right? Or our white glove service is our differentiator, or we deliver a fully customized, holistic financial plan. And you're kind of like, okay, all right. Or customized portfolios. And it's like, okay, yeah, but like, the, again, those are, those should just be table stakes. Those aren't differentiators. Those aren't anything that are taking you to the next level. And so because of that, Dan Allison, who's on the podcast in episode 13, he's got a firm where they did a, they did a lot of research on with current clients of advisors. What they found in their research was that the, the vast, vast, vast majority of advisors, what they have is simply a client base filled with marginally satisfied clients. And it's kind of humbling to hear. And of course, the natural reaction I know for most advisors when they hear that is go, okay, yeah, I bet that's the guy next door. I bet that's the guy down the street. That's probably not me. But what it's pretty consistent across the board that most advisors, most firms, all they have are just basically marginally satisfied clients. Right. So they're like, to your point, you know, you say, hey, we have a, um, well, that's a big piece. That's a big piece of what we do is we have satisfied clients. So, in, in the defensive advisors, you've got satisfied clients, but they're marginally satisfied. The problem I see with that, to answer your question, is why are we settling for marginally satisfied? And maybe the better question is, is being having a satisfied client actually what we want? Or is there something more that we should be striving for? And so what I found, there were some of the research I found a number of years ago that now kind of overlaps or coincides with the research that you guys did is that mine came from, uh, I found it in the Harvard Business Review. And it kind of blows my mind that this isn't a bigger, a more well-known thing. But what they found is that there's a massive difference between a highly satisfied client 
and this goes across all industries, not just financial services, by the way, but you've got, there's a big difference between highly satisfied clients and then emotionally connected clients. So not just highly satisfied, not just satisfied, but emotionally connected clients. And what they found is that emotionally connected clients are clients that are the ones that are willing to pay more. They don't balk at fees. They see the value they're willing to pay, whatever it takes. They refer more because they feel emotionally connected. They follow through. They'll do the things that you ask them to do without as much friction. And then they'll, they'll actually consolidate assets. They did one study specifically with a financial services institution and found that when you connect on an emotional level, it leads to higher consolidation of assets with, within the firm. And so you look at it and I, and I joke with, I joke all the time uh, with advisors. It's like, okay, so let's suppose I came and I said, I know a way for you to be able to create clients that don't balk at your fees. They pay more. They're happy to pay more. They refer more often. They follow through when you ask them or when you give them advice and tell them what to do. And then they'll actually consolidate all their assets with you. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but that pretty much sounds like the definition of an ideal client. Right. And so the funny, the, the ironic part is that that doesn't happen with. So when you think about, okay, well, I have clients and they, some of them do that, but not all of them do that. Well, it's because we, again, we have a, a, a largely a client base of marginally satisfied clients, right? And so well, the idea becomes, okay, well, if we know this about emotionally connected clients, we why don't we try to create emotionally connected clients? Like the data is there, the research is there. This is a different level of client. And in fact, if you can deliver on that and create clients like that, you basically turn them into the ideal client. So Brendan, let's Let's take this out of our industry for just a second so that people can kind of get a picture. Are there are there some big brands that do a great job that you think we should be thinking about that as we think about trying to develop that emotionally connected customer in our advisory business? Yeah, I always think it's helpful and fun and insightful to look to outside the industry or look elsewhere to see some analogous examples that help kind of make sense of this. Because what like what we just talked about a second ago, right? Like this idea of emotionally connected clients that do these all, that become an ideal client, they do all these things we want them to do. That sounds good, right? But ultimately, everybody that's listening is like, yeah, okay, cool, that sounds good. But like, what does that actually look like? How can that actually be brought to life? So the example that they use in the Harvard Business Review study is they they look at a national fashion retailer. And so what they look at and they say, one of the things they looked at was to try to figure out what are the emotional connectors? What are the emotional drivers of their consumers? So in, in other words, like, do people come in to buy clothes? Is what they want the ability to buy clothes that fit well, that make them look good? No, that's not the case. That's how you create satisfied clients is to get, is to provide the clothes that, that make them look good. What they find in this study, by the way, that I was going to mention, I think it's important that we'll come back to as we move on. But oftentimes the things, the emotional drivers, the emotional connection pieces, the things that create emotionally connected customers and clients are the things that people and clients don't even know are important to them. So people will tell you that they want certain things, but we really don't actually know what we want. Like the example I heard the other day was nobody ever actually said, I want an iPhone. Right. But Steve Jobs created the iPhone. We never, we don't really know what we want. We oftentimes we think we know what we want, but it's well, we actually want something different. And that's a whole nother conversation. But so, in this back to this fashion retailer example, uh, what they found, one of the things that they found to be an emotional driver for their customers was a, the, to feel a sense of freedom. 
Okay. So not to look good, not to wear clothes that fit, not cheap clothes, but their, their, their customers wanted to feel a sense of freedom. So they went and they asked, okay, so what is it that's important to you? Our, our customers, what is important to you that we do as a company to basically get more engagement, get you to buy more, get you to do all the things that we want you to do. And they said, we want, we want an associate that we can easily find in the store. We want clearance items that are easy to locate when we're in the store and we want free Wi-Fi." That's what people said that they wanted. What the the store said was, hang on, that sounds good. I hear you say that that's what you want, but none of those line up with the ability to feel a sense of freedom, right? So what they did was they said, okay, what if we can then deliver not on what people say they want, at least not only on what they say they want, but how can we also deliver or meet their emotional sense of meet their emotional driver to feel a sense of freedom? And so, what they did in order to do that was they predicted that to that a way to meet that need would be to give them the option to go and buy online and then pick up their uh, their what they just bought in the store. And that basically nobody said that that was important to them. They said, if that's something that's an emotional driver of yours to feel a sense of freedom, we think that you'll like the ability to go and order online on your own and come pick it up whenever you get a chance. And so they designed everything around this emotional component. And by doing that, they saw their, the, their sales increase. They saw the sales from those specific customers increase. And so, but essentially let's boil it down to this, right? The idea is people will tell you they want one thing, but what they really want is another. What they really want is what connects with them emotionally and their emotional drivers. And so by undercut, by focusing on meeting that need and speaking to that need and designing a service around that, that was actually what moved the needle and got people to come back, got them to buy more, got them to pay more, so on and so forth. So that's the example that I give from outside our industry. Yeah. So to, to kind of sum it up or wrap it in a bow, it's, it's basically what we're saying is people will say that they want one thing and you still oftentimes have to give people what they want, but you want to design your, your process. You want to design everything you're doing, your messaging, your process, your interactions around the things that are actually the emotional drivers that are important to people. You want to, that's what you want to create and design everything around. That's how you create emotionally connected clients and customers that will come in and they'll buy more. They'll come back more. They'll refer their friends. And they'll, again, the ideal customer, not by what people say they want, but by the things that are actually emotional drivers of what connects with their sense of freedom in this example. So what you're telling me is that I buy clothes because they give me the freedom to eat. I buy clothes that make me look good so that I can eat as much pepperoni pizza and chocolate cake as I, I can I can stand. Is that what you're saying about that what was, you're buying sand sabelts? <laughs> that, that was it. That was it in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> The, the here's another okay so here's a quick and easy example that i like it's actually right along those, those same lines like with for with fast food delivery companies with fast food like i yeah. say a burger joint nobody actually goes to the burger joint well sorry i shouldn't say nobody does do you have people that go just to fulfill their hunger right or maybe yeah. we shouldn't use fast food but we should say pick a, a oh sure food. what the heck <laughs> use fast food <laughs> you, but think about there's there's certain places out there there's certain restaurants out there that they don't just deliver they don't just 
just solve for a hunger problem. They don't just say, hey, here's something that you can eat that solves your hunger. Yep. That's how you create satisfied customers. You give them, right. you, solve, you, you say, hey, here's something to eat. Now you're not hungry. But if your sense of purpose, if your emotional driver is that you want to feel revived and refreshed because you have two little kids at home and you can't, you know, what you don't want to do is eat a McDonald's cheeseburger that's going to put you to sleep afterwards, but you need something quick, easy, convenient that revives and refreshes you. And that's what that company delivers and how they market what they deliver. Mm-hmm. So, Brendan, let's translate this now to our industry. Yeah. How do you, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of a lot of big brands outside of the industry that do it really well, but what does that look like for an advisory firm and how do they create that emotional connection? Yeah. So that's ultimately what everybody's thinking, right? Is okay. So how do I go about coming up with a way to do that consistently in financial services with my clients. So we actually, it's it's great, but in this business, advisors have a, a distinct advantage over all these other companies that we're using as examples because this national fashion retailer, the, the we'll say fast food restaurant, but the, the food restaurant, they don't have the ability. They're trying to market to the masses. They, they need to go out and find what's important to their customers. And they don't just have 100 or 200 customers. They have thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of people that they're trying to learn this from. The distinct advantage that the that advisors have in this regard. And the, cha- the challenge that those companies face is how do we uncover, how do we truly identify what these emotional drivers are? The advantage that advisors have is that you get to have one-on-one conversations with your clients where you can you get the ability to sit down and talk with them and ask them and got and questions and guide them through a conversation where they'll tell you if you do it right where they'll tell you what their emotional drivers are they'll tell you what those things are and so for clients what that looks like is not doing not talking about their goals and what it is that they want to accomplish right not talking about what keeps them up at night, not necessarily talking about how great your process and services are, not talking about your customer service and how great your white glove customer service model, right? But it's about, by about uncovering their why behind what it is that they wanted, by uncovering their purpose, by uncovering their values. That's the real driver of emotional connection. So if, you, if you're if you trying to facilitate that with clients, the idea is you want to have a process a framework to where you're engaging in conversations to draw out what's truly most important in their lives. So for example, it's not about coming into a meeting with somebody and asking them what they want to do, what they want to accomplish with their money and what their goals are. That's not bad. That's how you create highly satisfied clients is by saying, hey, what's your goal? Perfect. Here's a retirement projection. Here's what you need to save and invest in order to make that happen. You'll create a lot of satisfied clients that way. But you create emotionally connected clients when you don't settle for the goal of retirement, but you dive into the purpose and the value and the meaning behind that where you find out uh, you find out that they don't just want to retire what they really want to do is they want to go to Disney World twice a year stay at the Swan and Dolphin Hotel they want to go to all the parks and when the parks are over, they're going to come back home and have game night with their kids and grandkids. Three of the nights, they're going to go out and eat at the, their favorite restaurants. And the other nights, each family member is going to create, are going to make their favorite dish and share it with the rest of the family. Right. So it's not about retirement. It's not even about it just about spending time with family. It is, but it's about going from retirement 
to finding the deeper purpose behind it and what that actually looks like in a client's life. Or it's not about, hey, when do you want to retire? Great. Here's the projection and the investments and what you need to save. It's about finding out like, hey, you when I when you retire, what you actually want to do is you want to spend three months cooking and taking cooking classes in Italy because you want to come back and host your family and your neighbors at your house where you can then cook for them and provide them a place where they want to come and interact and be a part of your uh, be a part of the community or be a part of your or, or interact with other family members right it's it's about going beyond what somebody wants to accomplish the goals that they have and d- diving deeper into the why and the purpose behind it and when you can engage and that's what gets somebody engaged on an emotional level that's how you go in and create an emotional connection is by getting them to not talk about the fact that they want to fund their college education the child's college education, but how important it is for them to be able to protect and provide for their family, for their kids, because that's something that their parents didn't do for them. Yeah. So looking at our recent research on wallet share, we talk about actions that advisors can take or not take to build that trust that you're talking about and ultimately grow wallet share with these emotionally connected clients. And I'm wondering, tying this up to specific actions that you take to help create those emotionally connected clients. Yeah. So for so for me and the advisors that are part of the community that we work with and talk with and coach a little bit, we we always we go over a pretty systematic process of, hey, first of all, you've got to get really good at asking questions and asking mm-hmm. really good questions and getting questions, asking questions where people will actually open up and tell you the things that are most important to you in their life. When they walked in, they were probably just a stranger, right? So how do you build instant trust and connection? And one of the keys to doing that is not just asking great questions, but it's focusing on listening. They say that the number one predictor of client satisfaction in a first meeting is the amount of airtime that they get. Right. And so by fostering yeah. an environment like that, you're getting somebody to the point where they're now they're willing to open up and talk with you and they're going to be more emotionally engaged to tell you things. And then from there, you've got to have a pretty desi- pretty set framework. This is the number one thing I hear from advisors is they want to go beyond goals. They want to talk about more than just goals and about what's important to their clients, but they don't really know how to do it. They don't have a framework to do it. And so it's a matter of sitting down and mapping out, okay, what are the questions that I'm going to ask or what is the exercise I'm going to use to help some to create the space where you have somebody come in and identify what's truly important in their lives. And it, it, because it's a, it's a, we'll call it a, it's something that most people just never do, right? Most people never sit down and, and map out and talk about the things that are truly important in their lives. And if you do it right, it can be a truly transformational experience where you should have people walking out saying, you know, that's the best conversation that I've ever had around money. And there's no one perfect right way to do it. It just takes a little bit of work and mapping out exactly. It, it takes a little bit of work and mapping out exactly how to engage clients in that way first of all that's a skill but second of all how what are the questions you want to ask or the exercise you want to use to facilitate that conversation yeah well it's this time has flown by but again it has been such a delight to have you on the show and i know i've learned a lot but we always like to leave our listeners with a couple of actionable insights that they can utilize to really grow their business Give us a couple real good takeaways to leave our listeners. Yeah. Okay. So the first one I'll say is just listen more. 
or, or, or maybe the better way to say it is the way I, what I like to say is when you go into the next meeting, the next meeting you have, the next conversation you have, whether it's a prospect or a client, go into that conversation and strive for an 80 to 20 listen to talk ratio. So try to listen 80% of the time, talk 20% of the time. Uh, it's amazing when I get feedback from the advisors that do this and that try it, they say it feels a little bit unnatural at first, but what you realize at the end is you're like, man, that was probably one of the best conversations that I've had with a, with a client in a long time because you're just giving them this, the space and you're making it about them to let them talk to you and tell you what's important and you get more information that way. But it, So what happens is you strive for 80-20, you usually land... 60, 40, 70, 30. But we also know that getting somebody to talk about themselves or having, or when you talk about yourselves, it lights up the same area of the brain as eating chocolate and sexual activity. It's the uh -huh. rewards, the reward center of the brain. So if you're talking about how to create an experience that creates an emotional connection with a person, we know it's proven. It's there's research, there's scientific evidence that, that the, getting somebody to talk about themselves is a way to do that. And listening in general is one of the most powerful ways to do that. If we're talking about how to create an emotional connection, now it's a piece of the puzzle, but it's a pretty important piece of it. So number one is try to just strive for 80, 20, you'll probably land 60, 40, 70, 30, but that's still most likely going to be better than what it has been. And the second thing, this is one that I've mentioned a few times before, but and the reason I mention it is because it's come up so many times in conversations on the podcast and with other advisors as something that they consider to be a crucial element of their business that I, it's, it sounds so elementary and simple that I almost feel, I mean, weird you giving it as an example, but I can't get away from the fact that I've heard it so often, but it's the, it's what that you call, well, you'll hear it called different things, but we call it a discovery meeting recap email. Hmm. So, in other words, it's sending an email uh, either that the day after or the day of your meeting, but no later than 24 hours where you're recapping for the person that you just met with the things that they said, the emotional things that they said. So the things that they've said are important to them, the things that they're feeling and going through at the time. And then the other things that you talked about and the things that you need to do as far as the financial planning and the investment side of things go as well. But what happens when you do this, it's I mean, honestly, it's fascinating. Not only do you get emails back, but you get emails back with people saying, thank you so much. I feel heard. Thank you so much. I feel like you get me and you understand me, which to me is maybe the ultimate client compliment, right? So if you yeah. do it right and you focus on what they're feeling and, and what they were going through, their emotions, if you focus on putting their words in the email, that triggers this, hey, you, I, you get me. I hear my words repeated back. You were listening to me. I feel heard and I feel understood. And that starts the path towards an emotional, con emotionally connected client, an emotionally engaged client. So again, it's, I know some people already do it. It's nothing like crazy novel and groundbreaking, but I, I, and I've tried not to mention it before, but then I go and have a conversation with somebody else that swears by it. And so I've basically just given up trying to fight it and say, Hey, if you do it already, great. You can probably do it better. If you don't, it's something that you should start doing pretty much tomorrow. Well, Brendan, once again, thank you. And I can't wait to have you on again in the future. Appreciate yeah. it so much. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for having me again. I wallet share study. If anybody hasn't read it, you got to go look at it. I thought that was great. And I've been looking forward to this. So thanks for, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brendan. Well, if you're an advisor and like to know more about Brendan Frazier and Wired Planning, just go to wiredplanning.com. That's W-I-R-E-D planning.com. This information, of course, is available in the show notes. 
I hope that you have enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as we have creating it. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to The Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.